So it was really hard for me to be social and to talk to stylists and to like, I was shy. I had anxiety. And so that was actually really, really hard for me. Um, but I've gotten over most of that. And uh, now, now it's really fun. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today, we have Melody McCloskey, who is the CEO of Style Seat, which is the largest marketplace for beauty services. And last year, which was 2016, they did over $1.7 billion, that's with a B, in bookings. Melody, how's it going? It's going really well. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for being here. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about kind of who you are and uh, how you got to where you are? Sure, absolutely. Um, Let's see who I am, the company or personally? Personally. Personally. Uh, Okay. I am a first time founder. This is my first company, although I've been doing it for a while since we launched in 2011. I am the daughter of a police officer growing up. Um, So didn't have too much experience with the tech world didn't really grow up in it very much. I took coding glasses when I was younger, um, but uh, I was a French major and a international relations double major, so was not technical um, um, in terms of my education. I moved to San Francisco after college, and the intention was to move back to France because I had studied a year abroad and absolutely loved it. So my original genius idea was I'll move to San Francisco and save some money and move back to Europe, um, which is hilarious for a lot of reasons, but uh, sort of fell into tech from there and met a lot of fascinating people doing really big things and starting a lot of really cool companies and realized that this was actually what I wanted to do. Great. And so style seat, you know, how did it, was the impetus for the idea and uh, yeah, how did you, how did you start it? Sure. Well, you know, I first kind of, it, it was brought to my attention how this industry worked when I'd moved to San Francisco and I wanted to get my hair done. Um, and booking an appointment was really hard. I am a fairly data-driven person, and I want to find the best person in my price range, in my neighborhood, and I don't want to wait that long for the appointment, right? I want to do it within a couple of days or maybe a week. And the tools that were out there were just really poor and awful. Um, so discovery is incredibly hard. There's not a lot of information out there about who's better than who. At the time, there was no real great source of like ratings and and that data just wasn't available. And so I wanted to provide that for myself and other women as a resource. But then as I started to do more research into the space, I realized, okay, part of the problem is that these professionals in this industry don't have a good way to market themselves and run and grow their business. And that became a much more interesting problem that I wanted to solve because I love small business owners. I love entrepreneurs and beauty professionals in particular are creative. They're passionate, they're talented, but they don't necessarily have a, you know, deep passion for business fundamentals, right? Thinking about things like 
customer acquisition and web presence and social media and, you know, CRM and stuff like that. So that stuff is like the fun stuff for me. And I thought that being able to bring that value to them and then help them grow their creative business would be very, very exciting. And so that's what the platform does today. Got it. Okay. And what numbers can you share around the business today? Uh, sure. So last year, as you mentioned, we did uh, about $1.6 billion in bookings. We've powered about $3.5 billion since we've launched. We've powered over 70 million appointments across the platform. So, um, you know, we're powering millions a month. So the scale is, is you know, big. It's bigger than it used to be. Although, um, you know, the industry is a $60 billion industry. There's a lot of dollars spent. So we're very much at the tip of the iceberg. Awesome. And how does somebody with, you know, no tech background get into something like, get into something like this? What are some challenges you faced? Uh, all of them every day. Um, I think, you know, honestly, in the beginning, it was like, it's overwhelming to think about how do I start a company? And so one of the things that I did that I thought was helpful um, is to say, okay, let me map out all the things that I need to do because there's just so many, right? And let me put it all on a piece of paper and just get it all out. And then let me put it into pieces, right? Phase one, phase two, phase three. And then every day I would wake up and just attack one or two things from the phase that I was in. So if it was like, I want to start a, you know, a giant marketplace that powers the entire beauty industry, that's impossible and crazy for a French major to say, But if I woke up and I said, all right, I'm going to find an accountant today and I'm going to find a lawyer, right? Or I'm going to incorporate, or I'm going to find an engineer, or I'm going to, you know, find a designer, like whatever those little projects are, I think that made it more doable in the beginning stages when there was no traction. Got it. So what I'm hearing is one step at a time. Yes. Yes. Got it. Okay. Now in the early days, I mean, you know, with with now, I mean, you have such big numbers, one point seven or one point six, you know, in billion in bookings and seventy million appointments, or seven did you say seventy billion or is it seven seventy million appointments? Seventy million, yeah. Seventy billion I don't think that's really is that feasible? I'm trying to think. Probably not right now. Maybe not, but not yet. Yeah. It's never no, it's just not yet. Cool. So how did you go about acquiring your first, let's just say, thousand customers? So I didn't really know that many stylists. Um, I had a couple of friends that were stylists and obviously I'd gotten my hair done before and asked a million questions. Um, but what I did was sent an email to all of my friends. I spammed them all. And I said, send me the email address for your hairstylist. I would love to talk to them and get their advice. Um, so I got about 30 names and I sent them an email and the email was basically, I want to change the beauty industry. I want to make you more money and I want to give you free champagne. So can I have an hour of your time? Um, and I had a friend let me use her salon. So we had, you know, 30 stylists that came uh, to meet me and I gave them a PowerPoint presentation and I said, the industry is completely messed up. I want to change it. Here's what I want to do. I have no, pro- I have no, nothing is built, right? But here's what I want to do. Um, tell me if I'm off, tell me if I'm crazy. I want to hear from you. What are, tell me what you think of the industry. And so we had a really honest and awesome conversation with a bunch of beauty professionals. And at the end of it, I had a, you know, a room full of people that thought I was nuts, but they were excited about the mission and they wanted to help me. And so when we launched the first version of our app, they helped us understand what that needed to be, right? That MVP, um, And they gave me feedback every single day, like multiple times a day. And I would go and sit in their salons and watch how they did business and ask a million questions and add that into the app. I would get text messages night and day around how it could get better, but we really built it together. And 
you know, they would say, well, how can I help? And I would respond with, um, recommend us to a friend, just tell more people about it. Let's get this app in the hands of more people. We want more feedback. Um, and so we got to a point where when we launched a year and a half later, um, we had about 10,000 businesses using us on a regular basis. And that was really fabulous because, uh, it was a hundred percent organic and we still to this day, actually, um, it's, it's really rare and very bizarre, but we've done essentially no marketing. Um, all of our businesses that use us have come to us from word of mouth. And for that, we're very fortunate and we thank our community. Awesome. So it sounds like, I mean, in the very, very beginning, you're doing a ton of customer development. Did you know that you're basically doing customer development? Did you study anything or was it just kind of a gut feeling thing? Yeah. You know, I had had a product and business role before. Um, and then at my job before that, I had had a product role. So it's not like I didn't know how product worked. Um, but yeah, I knew that it was product development. And one of the things that I love about this industry is like style seed is a combination of awesome software product development and also community. Um, because that's what it is. That's what the industry is. That's what the beauty industry is. Like people love their stylists because they give them awesome work, um, awesome services, but they're also this amazing community. They're a person you can talk to. It's a social experience. Um, and so that's really how we've built the company. I always tell people, I mean, probably the harder, the hardest thing to do is to actually build a community. And afterwards you can decide what you want to, you know, help the community with. Um, is that kind of what happened for you guys? Totally. I can tell you now, like if I could sit in front of my computer and just spreadsheet and build PowerPoints, like I would be the happiest little clam if I can just like, (laughs) you know, write tickets and work with developers. Um, so it was really hard for me to be social and to talk to stylists and to like, I was shy, I had anxiety. And so that was actually really, really hard for me. Um, but I've gotten over most of that. And uh, now now it's really fun. Now I love hearing what people have to say, even if they're just like, I hate everything. I'm like, fabulous. Tell me why, you know, so we can fix it. Um, so it's a really, really important thing to really learn and and know who your customer is and love your customer. And how many how many employees are do you have right now? Uh, we have, I think it's like 40-ish. Okay. It's under 50. Got it. So when you're, uh, let's say when you're first starting out, you know, you're basically, you know, you're creating a product, you're doing a lot of customer development, you know, you as a CEO of, you know, yourself, um, I mean, how have you, how have you evolved as a CEO to, you know, where you are now with 40 employees? What have you learned? Oh my God. Well, you know, the beginning stages of starting a company, it's like, how well can you pitch your vision? How good is your vision? And you're selling constantly, right? You're selling to recruit people. You're selling to get money. You're selling to get customers. You're selling whatever all day. Um, And then once you have something that people are buying, it's about building a team, right? And your team slowly moves from generalists to specialists. And you have to learn to move from recruiting people who are just awesome and effective and smart to people that have proven track records and are really good at one specific thing. Um, And that takes a lot of learning and growth. And then you have to move from doing everything, right? I was the janitor and I ran customer support and I've done most of the things at StyleSeed outside of engineering um, to being really good at supporting, identifying talent, putting them in those roles and being really good at supporting them and giving them what they need to, to succeed. And you move to thinking, spending most of your time thinking about How do I upgrade our different operating systems? How do I make this business run faster, grow quickly? Like, how do I fix systems? Um, And how can I think about culture? And how can I think about what we stand for and and incorporate that into the business strategy? And so all of those phases are very different and specific and require very specific skills. And so I think for me, the unifying theme along the way has just been to 
always show up with a curious mind and an eagerness to learn and change and evolve. Um, because you just have to, like, I've been doing this now for seven years. And if I was set in my ways, like I wouldn't, I would have been gone a long time ago, but I have to just assume that I know nothing every single day and I'm learning. And most of my, uh, interactions now are about asking questions, right? It used to be like, you do this, you do that. This is how it is. And now, now all I do in every single meeting is ask questions and then I'll make decisions, but it's help me understand why did we make this decision? What are we doing? Um, and, and how would you do it that way? Why is that this perspective? What am I missing? So uh, I'd say that's a huge difference as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably the most powerful thing I learned in the last couple of years. It's, uh, you know, it used to be in the early days, it's just you tell people what to do. But um, I read this book, and I highly recommend it, everyone. It's it's audiobook. You can, audiobook would work for this one. It's called Multipliers. And I, I think uh-huh. the subtitle is uh, how, how, how People Make Great Leaders or How Great Leaders Get the Best Out of Their People or whatever. And the basic premise is like you're just asking questions instead of giving directives and you're basically just teasing the answer out of people instead. And it becomes much more empowering that way. Is that kind yes. of what you're seeing? A hundred percent. And it's about teaching people how to think because when you're in a contributor role, right, you're sort of doing stuff and you're directed by people. And until your manager sort of says, well, well, why? And how would you do it? And what am I missing? And have you thought about this? And what do you think about this? And have you considered this extra consideration? It's hard to go from I do what I'm told to running strategy. Um, and that's part of like the upgrading the operating systems, right? It's, it's upgrading your people and getting them to really take ownership. Because in the beginning, you can own all the stuff and do all the stuff. But very quickly, like once you get to be 10 people, you can't do that anymore. Um, but it's not like people can just automatically know how to take ownership and do it. Um, and so it's like teaching your team how to think for themselves and take ownership and responsibility and hold each other accountable and really drive the solution themselves instead of that coming from you. And it's really hard, but also the best thing ever. Right. Cause then you're not the bottleneck anymore. Exactly. So, um, you know, what's interesting is another story I'll, I'll share really quick is, uh, so I have a friend, I mean, met him a couple of years ago and uh, we both joined this entrepreneurs group. He's doing 3 million a year, right? And I didn't see him for a while. And then I saw him a couple of weeks ago um, and I'm like, hey, how are things going? And he's like, well, you know, we're doing 22 million a year now. I was like, okay, great. So like, what the hell happened? Um, yeah. And he's like, you know what, Eric, like, you know, I just hired really great people and I got the fuck out of their way. Like, it sounds really cliche and you hear it all the time. So yeah. I guess my question to you would be, you know, especially in, in SF, you know, it's, it's really competitive when it comes to talent. How are you finding great talent right now? You know, it's interesting because the market has been a little bit crazy. I'm actually seeing it come back down to planet Earth now, which is really refreshing and fabulous. Do tell. Um, well, I mean, a couple of years ago, people, I actually heard this from a candidate. I was hiring for a C-level position and the candidate told me, unless you can guarantee me that I'm going to make $40 million in the next two years, I just, I can't consider this role. And that's like the attitude that a lot of like executives and sort of people have, which is I've got a million options. So prove to me why you deserve, you know, my time. And that's just what a really bananas market does to people, right? They're just reacting to like what they're being told. Um, and we have never really overpaid. We've never really gone and sent those crazy banana offers. Um, I'm not talking about 40 million. That's just crazy pants. But like, you know, we did have a lot of pressure um, to like close people and to do things quickly. Um, 
we've never really done that because, or if we've done that, it hasn't lasted very long because now my expectations are that high. And if you can't perform at that level, it's not going to work out, um, which is fair, right? Those are just sort of the, the being honest and open on both sides. Um, but it's really about, I think what we've done, and especially recently, we've gotten a lot better at this is really setting expectations. Like we would love for you to work here. This is our mission. We're about empowering small business owners. And we really, really, really care about them. And because we care about them and because we care about growing their business, we run our business efficiently so that we can give them the most benefit from the product, from the resources that we have. Um, and so if you're a part of the style C team, you understand that and you're excited by that. Um, we're, we're much more of a equity motivated business than a, you know, high salary motivated business. Um, and that's true for everyone at the company. And I think that that's the way it should be, right? Because we're in this to build something big and meaningful and that's where our incentives are. Um, so yeah, things have been, things have gotten nutty. I'm glad to see them kind of coming back down to planet earth, but it doesn't mean that you have to play by those crazy rules, right? You sort of define what you want to be and what kind of business you want to run and you attract people that like that. Great. So I want to shift into customer, uh, customer acquisition for a little bit and then jump around. Um, so what's working for Stylesheet today in terms of uh, customer acquisition? Uh, well, we're entirely organic. So, so organic is the one channel and that's what's working for us. I will tell you, we have had product market fit and lost product market fit along the way. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, when we first started, we were a free product and the very first tools and features that we had were, you know, fabulous tools that made professionals money. Um, but also they were sort of really pared down and simple. And so when we were free, that was awesome. We flipped the switch to being a paid product kind of early on, and that shifted our community. At first, it was optional. Last summer, we actually made it mandatory. So we turned off our um, – if you wanted to use our business tools, that no longer became available. You can have a profile. You can have web presence on StyleState. Um but, but we turned off our business tools and that was a really big shift for us. So customers that had been using us for free and liking it, um, some of them didn't want to pay the $35 or, um, they continued to use. And so they left us right. Or of the professionals that, that did pay all of a sudden their expectations went up. So they said, okay, I'm paying, I'm here. Um, but here's all the things I need. And whereas I used to be cool with it before, now I'm demanding it and I'm holding you accountable for really being worth this amount of money. Um, and that was like a scary thing because we were like, oh shit, you know, we thought we had this, we had this locked, but it turns out now, you know, the, the bar's been raised. Um, and so we had to fix that and we saw changes in our business and, and we've dramatically improved the product over the past year. And our community is very happy and we've seen the reflection in the numbers, but that was like, you know, having it and then losing it and then going, oh my gosh, we lost it. That was like a really scary moment. Um, but it was good to galvanize the team to get them to fix it and to get it back. Cause we were like pissed about it. You know, oh, people are saying we're not that good. We've always been the best in the game. Okay. Let's fix this. Um, so it was a good galvanizing moment. Got it. So it sounds like, I mean, there's, there's a little backlash. I mean, you know, anytime you do something like that, there, you know, there's a bound of people, people that are come out with pitchforks. So, uh, what was the process for, you know, quote unquote, uh, fixing this? What did you, what were some steps that you took to fix it? Well, one of the challenges with being a free product is that 
you get a ton of customers, right? Um, but you get the 80-20 rule. You have 20% of them are engaged and 80% of them aren't really. But just because they're not engaged doesn't mean they're not complaining, right? And, and talking to your support team and talking to your engineers. So when we were free, it was it was less clear who our real valuable customer was. And so we were sort of creating features for a wide group of people. And um, when we turned on the paywall, that's when, you know, yes, the 80%, the, the customers that weren't engaged left us, but the ones that remained were very clear about the, what they needed. And we were able to just focus on, you know, a much, a, a much tighter focus on what we needed to do to make them happy. So in a lot of ways, it was really, uh, it was good for us. Awesome. Okay. And I think in, um, I guess, you know, around advisors, what are your thoughts around advisors? And because um, I know you've talked about it in the past. I mean, what, what's your relationship to advisors? I think advisors are everything. That would be the number one thing that I would say to do. Even before you start the company, go find an amazing advisor who's done it before and can give you meaningful time. So not like an hour to a month. Like you need to have meaningful time. I my What's meaningful time? Well, my first advisor worked like a full day or two per week. Um, and I was at his house three days a week, kind of just hanging out. And then when I needed his help, I'd call him because I was sitting in his kitchen. So that was really helpful. And I gave him meaningful equity in the company in exchange for that. Um, but what's interesting is that my advisors have changed over time. And I think that's really important to recognize when someone is less valuable than they used to be and to go find someone who has a particular expertise in that new need that you have. So like in the beginning, it might be fundraising. And then after you're done with fundraising, it could be someone who's really good at product market fit and customer development. And then it could be someone who's really good at business development and sales um, or whatever that is, right? Because it's different for everyone. I think it's really important to recognize what you're good at, what you're not, like where your big holes are in terms of skill set and to constantly be finding people that can support you around that. Got it. Okay. And, you know, when I look at some of the, the advisory shares that, that I have, I mean, sometimes it can be like 0.05% or 0.25% or sometimes as high as 2%. Um, when you say meaningful shares and you don't have to give an exact number, I mean, what uh, what do you mean by meaningful? How much how much percent are you thinking? Um, in this case, it was more than one. Uh-huh. And that came with investment. So it was like, we're working together several days a week. You're writing a check. And in exchange for those two things, you know, more than 1%, right? Um, the first, so I found my very first uh, developer on Craigslist. I had no one to code the site. I'd written the specs. Um, I had designs, but like I needed an engineer. And so I wrote an ad on Craigslist and I was like, stealth company, you know, that I can't explain to you um, <laughs> is looking for a developer to code this huge piece of software for free. Uh, you know, in exchange for equity. And someone actually responded and did it for me and did a great job. Um, and I gave him a couple points in the beginning, right? So there are like those early people where you're like, I thank you, this do- wouldn't exist without you. Um, and then as you get bigger and as the value of the company grows, that can go down to, I think a quarter point is kind of standard, especially for, for companies around the Series A, for an investor that you're spending, you know, a day with per month. So I'm, I'm assuming that that first developer, you gave him a couple points and he just got diluted down as you guys raised more money, right? Uh, well, yeah, that's how it works, right? So you you establish shares and then everyone gets diluted as you uh, bring in more capital to the company. But the way it works is that, you know, he's given 2% at a valuation of zero, essentially. And then when you go and raise, there's, you know, 20% dilution, for example, but then the value of the company goes to eight, right? Or 10 or I don't know, whatever. Um, 
And so while the percent of the company decreases over time, the actual monetary value of the shares increases over time. Great. Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to see if there's anything else that was done, but it sounds like it was pretty standard. Um, okay, cool. So what's, I mean, we've talked about a couple of struggles already, but is there any one particular big struggle that really sticks out to you as you're growing this thing? Because it sounds like, you know, I mean, it's not just for you. I mean, it's always up and down of the entrepreneurship, right? So was there one big thing that sticks out? I think the big thing that sticks out is the ups and downs. Like the hardest part about doing this job, because it is very hard. I am doing a 100% different job every single month. And I have been for the past seven years, right? Um, And they're very, very different, requires very different skill sets. Like it's pretty hard. I think the though, what's consistent with that is that it is so up and down. Like you can come to work and something fantastic will happen. Um, And you're like, yes, this is amazing. And then in the afternoon, you lose a massive customer or something happens with the product or the app store rejects your app or like, you know, there's some security, something, or maybe there's, you know, some issue with the server, like something really bad can happen. And you're like, oh my God, this is the worst. It eclipses everything. And then you can end the day with something fabulous happen. And that's what happens every single day. And so, you know, yes, you're learning and you're going, et cetera, but you also have to get really good at being okay with sort of shh. I don't know if I can curse on your podcast. shit all the time? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. With shit being flown, you know, flung at your face daily, kind of constantly, you have to move from like, oh my God, this is so dramatic. I'm, you know, paralyzed to like, okay, bring it, throw it faster next time, (laughs) make it bigger next time. Like you have to like lean into the pain and the chaos and the craziness and love it and just get really good at solving those problems and like getting a thrill from that. Um, cause that is not going to change. It just becomes different shit, but it's still shit sort of forever. Um, I'm just imagining like a big gorilla throwing shit at me while I'm running. And like that gorilla is getting bigger, you know, over time and maybe slower, but like the shit gets bigger. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very, I'm glad we could paint that picture together. Yeah, no, I love it. That's the first time <laughs> I've done this on this podcast. I love it. <laughs> um, okay. What's one big change you've made in the last year that has either impacted you, yourself, or your business in a big way? So it could be like, I don't know, you added some random, I don't know, fitness tracker or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, turning on revenue, big, massive, crazy thing, totally mm. different type of problem than we've ever had to solve before. Um, I've brought on a new executive team and that has been really, really fabulous because they are just have a lot of expertise in working with early stage companies. And that's been really, really fabulous and new for us. Um, I've been more into fitness than I've been in before. And so I've seen a huge personal benefit for me around that. Um, it's given me a lot more energy. It's made me more balanced. It's made me a better CEO. And I'm very thankful for that change. What are you doing? Spin, yoga, gym? I am doing, I'm doing a personal trainer, uh, two days a week. Cause he kicks my ass and like gives me a lot of flack and kind of keeps me motivated. Um, I also take classes probably another three days a week. So I'll do yoga is one of my favorites or I'll do Pilates. Sometimes I'll do spin. Um, I don't really like cardio. I don't really do that a whole lot. It's mostly like weightlifting and and weight training. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just try and change it up. Class pass. Great. Uh, and how about a new tool that you've added in the last year, like Evernote? Um, Evernote's fabulous. Actually, Linda Koslowski, who, uh, Linda Finley Koslowski, who uh, is on our board, was the COO of Evernote. So I get to talk about Evernote a lot because we learn a lot um, from them as a business. So I'm a huge fan of that product. 
Let's see. I do everything on my phone. So I'm just, I have my phone in my hand constantly. So I use like fitness tracker on my phone. There's this, uh, new company Gixo. I don't know if you've heard of it. It launched this week, but they do live fitness training classes from your phone. I love, I use them. I use, um, gosh, what's the other one that I use that I love. It has a really weird twerk it. It's a bizarre name, but it is like such a good, um, like if you like high intensity interval training, like you can customize your workouts. It's like super good for that. You get cute little videos. Um, that's really awesome. So I'd say like, just, I love any new apps that I can get that make my life better. Like I'm all about it. Is it swerk it or twerk it? Swerk it. It's <laughs> okay. like work it and sweat or something like, I don't, it's a, I really, really dislike the name, but it's like a, it's an awesome app. Love it. Cool. And final question to you. What's one must read book you'd recommend to everyone? I really like Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, because um, he goes real dark and he's very honest about how gnarly it can get. And throughout the book, you're like, stop. What are you doing? You're crazy. Like, hang up those spurs. Like, you know, this call it a loss. And he's just like, and then we kept going. Um, and I think that tenacity because tenacity and resiliency are the two, in my opinion, most important, um, factors to be a founder. I think that he talks about that a lot and I respect him for that. Agreed. Great. So Melody, this has been awesome. What's the best way to, for people to find you online? Uh, let's see. I'm at Melody on Instagram. I am Melody MCC on Twitter. Those are probably the best ways. Whoa, 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 whoa. How did you get the Melody handle? <laughs> I was like the fifth person on Instagram. I knew Kevin and Mikey, we were in the same incubator together. So I sat next to them actually every day and they'd be like, Melody, what do you think of this new, you know, filter? And I'd be like, it's awesome. And in my head, I'm like, how big can a photo sharing app really be? And then they fucking blew it out of the water and changed the world. Wow. So I'm like such fans of those guys. But yes, I'm also happy that I have that as my handle. Cool. Well, Melody, thanks so much for doing this. Yes, thank you. This was really awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.